with us. I know some announcements have been scrolling on the screen that are much more detailed, but I do want to point out a couple of things before Erica comes and shares a little bit about children's ministry. Today, Bryson is hosting a fellowship, an interest meeting for ages 18 to 25. Lunch is provided, so uh, that's good. Thank you, Bryson, for hosting that. If you have any questions about it, uh, see Bryson. It's in the fellowship hall immediately following worship service today. Uh, Next Sunday, we will have a called conference following worship service to discuss the increase in need for funds for the paving lot, parking paving lot project. Uh, There's been an increase of $5,000, so we want to to discuss that as a a church body um, and how to handle the increase there as we look forward to paving our our parking lot soon. It's over here to my right. Homecoming in a couple of weeks, September the 9th, we will have fellowship lunch as always following the service and some special guests as part of that service, so hope you'll be here on that particular Sunday. Erica, if you'll come. A couple of prayer requests. Y'all continue to pray for Verlin Marshall. He is still at Tanner Hospital and Renly Meacham, the precious baby girl at Scottish Rite who's 27 or so weeks. Uh, continue to pray for uh, the Meacham's grandbaby. Erica. I have a few announcements about the children's ministry. Um, I sent out a letter and like all my dates were wrong. I don't know what I was thinking or looking at a wrong calendar. But we are going to have Word of Life kickoff, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday to sort of start our back to school new ministry. We did it last year. We're sort of tweaking it this year. We're not going to have the books anymore. Um, we're going to be having dinner. It's all going to be in the children's building. Um, it's going to be a really good ministry, so if you're interested in that, let me know. It's going to be 545 to 7 every Wednesday night. And like I said, dinner will be provided. Um, also, soccer. We did evaluations last week. We had a really good turnout. It's not too late to sign up, though, or sign up to volunteer. Right now, I am in charge of 12 3- to 5-year-olds by myself, so... Um, if you want to help me out, that'd be great. Also, Bryson's got 16 6 through 8-year-olds, and Neil has got a lot of 9 through 13-year-olds. He's got the biggest group by himself. So, And not even just volunteering to coach. If you could just show up, we're having practices on Tuesday, and then games are on Saturday mornings. If you could just show up for crowd control or, like, to tie a shoelace, like, because it's going to be really hard for us to do that by ourselves. But, you know, Good Lord provide, and he will, we will get it done. It'll be an awesome ministry, and I know there's always a lot of hands on deck when the time comes. Just going to let y'all be praying about that ministry. Um, also, Children's Church for Sunday mornings. I had a meeting last week with the Children's Council and a few of the other volunteers that helped me with that ministry, and I do have a lot of volunteers, but we did have a lot that dropped out this year, too, whether they're children were aging out or if they changed churches or if they were just involved in too many other ministries because it is it is a lot Um, but as of right now we're only going to be having the younger class um, because we just don't have enough volunteers Um, so that class will be from ages four to around eight first second grade um, depending and if you feel led to call in that ministry so we can start up that second class again please let me know 
um, Ginger actually in the meeting was like, Erica, tell them what all is you know required for them to be a teacher because as of right now, you're required. The requirement is to teach a whole month, and that's a that's a big chunk of time for you to be out of service. So I was going to let you know if you just want to teach one Sunday, let me know. If you want to help one Sunday, let me know. You don't have to commit the whole month. You can partner up with somebody and take turns or just pray about the ministry that because we do need some more volunteers because these kids need need to hear the word on something that they they can understand. Um, also, I don't even think Neil knows this, but Kylie, it was really led and placed on her heart. She's not here, so I can talk about her, how awesome she is. Um, she did a puppet ministry years and years and years ago, and she has been called, she said, to start that back up. So hopefully we can get some volunteers to help with that. She's going to get all the curriculum, and we're going to start doing that for the older class if we can get enough volunteers. So technically you don't even have to teach. You just have to hold a puppet up, and she's going to give you all the words to say, and it's going to be really good. And we're going to actually do a preview puppet show at the kickoff next Wednesday for Word of Life to sort of get the kids to see how they react to it, see if anybody wants to volunteer with that. It'd even be something for the youth to help with, Bryson. So <laughs> um, other than that, um, just pray for the children's ministry. We got a good, strong group of kids. We got a good, strong group of leaders. We just need help and uh, prayers, ultimately. And I am going to read our call to worship this morning, and it comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and it's the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted the wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more bags. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold into the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, they will be given an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant into the darkness, where they will be wilt, where they will be weeping. All right, and Miss Catherine is going to come lead us. Good morning. You'll stand up. We're going to begin our service singing at Calvary this morning.
Oh, stand again. I just love that song. It's so fun. And, you know, last week, um, Neil was talking to us and encouraging us that sometimes our stewardship isn't necessarily about money, but, you know, just as much about plugging in. And I just, I thought it was interesting that we have so many needs in our children's ministry right now, and that kind of just aligns with exactly what Neil was, you know, preaching last week. Like, God's calling you to serve in some way. Um, and that's a great part of being being a member of a church and not even being a member, just being a part of a church is that we each have a talent or gift that God's given us to use within this body. Um, just like the scripture says, one of us is the hand, one of us is the foot. And without one another, we don't fully for, uh, fully function to the best of our ability. Um, so I encourage you this morning to really pray this morning about where you're supposed to be plugged in, whether it's children, whether it's youth, whether it's adults, whether it's the choir. Find somewhere to be plugged in because the more we plug ourselves in, you know, the, the firmer our foundation come, becomes because we're all a part of it. Um, will you join us in singing in Christ alone? Here's it. 
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for just bringing us together to worship this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts right now and just clear our conscience, Lord, to have a clear understanding of what you would have us learn this morning, God, as we um, continue our study about stewardship, God. Lord, I pray that you will have your way this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children under the age of eight are dismissed for Children's Church in the back. Amen. The rest of us turn to Romans chapter 11. As has already been mentioned, uh, this month is Stewardship Emphasis Month. We spent a couple of weeks uh, emphasizing the proper stewardship of our... By the way, thank you, Scott, for sharing your giftedness with us. <laughs> Amen. So last week we talked about how to be stewards of our bodies in a biblical way, in a God-glorifying way. This week we're going to talk about, speaking of Scott's giftedness, our own personal giftedness. Uh, we are created in the image of God. God has created you as you. There's only one you. And you have a unique set of abilities and talents and giftedness that no one else has, and God has given you that for His glory and for the good of other people. So I just want us to create an awareness this morning that God, in His love for us and in His creation of us, all of us are gifted and talented in unique ways, and we are to use our gifts, our talents, our personalities, all that He has entrusted to us, we're to use it to glorify Him for the good of others. Now, the passage that I've chosen begins in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. The passage Erica read out of Matthew 25 is, is very telling about how God entrusts us with talents, abilities, wealth, resources, these bodies that we have. He's given us everything. And so the temptation, though, is to, if you listen to what she read from Matthew 25, out of wickedness or laziness or fear, those are the three things that were pointed out in the parable, out of wickedness, laziness, or fear, we will bury our talents. So the one takeaway today is don't bury your talent. Employ your talent. Put your talent to work, to use. For God and His glory. I think Romans 11 uh, is a very wealthy passage which has a lot for us to do. Okay, So I'm just going to get right to it and read it. And as I read it, think about how this is a call for you and me to live in such a way that would glorify Christ, particularly with our giftedness, our, our talents and abilities. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Here's a key life verse. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
Paul closes that doxology. But then he dives into chapter 12 and he urges us, in light of who God is and what God has done, he urges us toward this, this way, and it's the way of Christ. He says, I urge you therefore, brethren, in view of or by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship or your reasonable worship. It's worship that makes sense. It is the sensible way to respond to who God is and what he's done. And some of your versions draw out that that meaning in that phrase at there at the end of verse 1. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. And boy, the pressure is there. But instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'll highlight that. We are individually members of one another in Christ. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, so these giftedness, the gifts that we have are grace gifts. We didn't earn them. We didn't merit them. They're His grace to us. Look at what he says in verse 6. Let each... Hey, that's, that's not just me this morning, that's all of us. Let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Those seem to be particular gifts given to people in the church to edify the church, to build the church up, and to enable the church to fulfill its mission of making more and better disciples of Christ. That's why the church exists. Now then in verse 9, though, he has a series of, of commands that seem to be, hey, do this. The church is gifted. Some of you may know what your spiritual gift is. You've done those spiritual gift inventories. There are other passages. There's one in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one in 1 Corinthians 12, which describe and identify some of the spiritual gifts in the church. But if you really want traction, if you really want the nuts and bolts of this, start in verse 9, fulfilling the commands of Christ. And he says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. 
persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. He goes on, bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You're thinking, wow, if I knew there was that much to do, I don't know if I'd have signed up for this, right? It's incredible, isn't it? Who is, who is sufficient for this type, of, this type of life? It's reflective of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I stopped there. There's more in chapter 13. But this is enough to achieve for this morning, is it not? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us in Christ. Thank you for the instruction that we have in Romans and in the whole, of the, the whole counsel of God, all the Bible, and what your expectations and commands are for us. We know, we know that we sin and fall short of this if we honestly examine ourselves. We rejoice that Christ alone sufficiently, perfectly, Live this out. This is who he was and is. This is the character of God presented before us. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf for failing to meet the standards of your law. Thank you for his spirit which will now live in us to enable us to do this in an increasing way. Not as a means of earning our salvation or earning your love but as a way of gratitude to you for what you've done and in a way of loving our, our neighbor and others in a way that they would be touched by your grace as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a lot here, and so this morning what I've decided to do in my preparation for the week is just give us some helpful thoughts on using the gifts that God has given to us and all of us have at least one spiritual gift, okay? Most people have many, but all of us have at least one. And only Jesus had all the gifts, okay? Only Jesus had all the gifts. So I want to give us some words to organize this passage in a way that we can understand it and apply it. The first word is perspective. The first thing you and I need is a biblical, God-centered perspective to understand not just who we are and how we are made and how we function, but all of life. So many times we need to pull back and see the bigger picture to understand our place in the universe and why we are here. Paul here in the letter to Romans gives us what I think is a crucial big picture perspective 
that helps us get started with understanding why we're even here in the first place. And he gives us a view of the mercies of God. Look at this doxology at the end of chapter 11. It's all about God. It's about how amazing he is. How unsearchable are his ways. That no one could counsel him. No one could ever pay God back for all that he's done for us. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's talked about everything that he said in the previous 11 chapters. And it's impossible for me, I don't know if you would take it, to, to regurgitate, for lack of a better word, everything that Paul has said in the first 11 chapters. So I'm going to sum it up for us, because what we have in the first 11 chapters is the view of God's mercy to us that we need. He said things like this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That means you and I needed saving. And God has done something to rescue us. In chapter 2, verse 4, he said it's the kindness of God that will lead us to repent. So not only is God a saving God, but he's a kind God. He's he's patient. He's long-suffering. It tells us in chapter 3, Paul does in Romans 3, 9... That we are all under sin. And 6.23, the wages of sin is death because we've broken God's law. We have rebelled against his character and his nature and his commands. But in chapter 4, verse 5, he, he, he has made a way to justify the ungodly. What is that way? In chapter 5.8, he tells us God demonstrated his love. God is a loving God, a merciful God. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And being justified by faith, by trusting Christ and what he's done, we have peace with God. There's no longer alienation. There's no longer hostility. God has made a way for us to know peace with God and to have the peace of God. And this is all a gift. We don't earn it. In fact, we deserve the opposite. That's why it's called mercy. Paul said the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's an understatement to say we've got that going for us. (laughs) We have eternal life. God's great gift to us. And then in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We have full pardon and forgiveness for all sins past, present, and future. And so in 1132, as he ascends this great summit that is the book of Romans and the mystery and power of the gospel, he ends by saying in verse 32, right before what we read, that God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Paul says this is the perspective you need to understand who you are and to understand what God has done for you on your behalf. So this is what this does. This gives you a perspective that now focuses not on the gift, but on who? The giver. 
So many times you talk about spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and we struggle to figure out who has what and how we're going to use them. And, 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 and Paul says, wait, wait, time out. Before you ever get to your particular gifts, talents, and abilities, keep your perspective on the giver. Because all that you have is from him. All that you have and all that you are is through him. And all that you have and all that you are is to be unto his glory. So that's why week after week after week, God calls people like me to stand in the pulpit and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. There are seven some odd billion people on this planet. (laughs) And you need to get this perspective. From him, through him, to him are all things to him be the glory forever. And if you can settle that in your heart, If you can settle who the giver is, how much he loves you, how holy he is, how just he is, and what he's done. If if you can take that view, which is a view of the mercy of God, that is the perspective that transforms your life and, and, and infuses meaning, infuses meaning into the daily tasks that we serve and that we do. You're pushing a pencil every day. You're typing on a keyboard every day. I look out at you and I want to jump around and say, I I know what some of you do and use you as examples in your wonderful skills and gifts and talents. Some of you are great with your hands. You're great with your minds. And the perspective you need Monday through Friday is to know that all this is from Him. He's merciful, He's gracious. And he loves me. And he's put me here for an eternal purpose. It's bigger than me. It's not about me. How could it be about us? Have you looked at yourself lately? (laughs) I'll get to that later. (laughs) Years ago, I read a story of three men working on a job site. They were all three doing very similar tasks. And a passerby on a city street stopped, and he looked, and he said, Hey, what are you guys doing? And the first guy said, well, I'm stacking bricks. He asked the second guy, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm stirring mortar for the bricks. The third guy, he was doing a similar task. He says, what are you doing? He says, I am building a cathedral. That's the perspective we need in the smaller things of life. That it gets you up every morning. <laughs> I, I could go on. i, I got to move on. This is the perspective. And, and Paul gives it to us. And you're going to have to do the work of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. To get your perspective back right again. These are the glasses you need every day to see yourself and life and others. And your tasks and your giftedness appropriately. Through this... As C.S. Lewis said, you will be able to see everything else. The second word I've got for us is presentation. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Some of you already have my notes and you've seen how many pages they are. Don't tell everybody else. In light of the gospel and in light of the mercy of God, we are urged to do what? To present ourselves. 
as a living sacrifice to present our bodies. What else do we have? We give ourselves. We give our lives away as living sacrifices. This implies a daily dying to self, which is not what the world is squeezing me to do. The world is squeezing me to exalt myself and be wrapped up in myself and absorbed in myself and make it about me. Paul says only reasonable response to what God has done is to surrender our bodies for his use and his service. So if you surrender all that you are, then your giftedness is included in that. Right? When Isaiah finally saw the glory of the Lord, Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. What did he say? Here I am, all of me. You know, why not take all of me? To quote Willie Nelson, (laughs) to keep some of you with me. Here I am, Lord. And so what does God do? God takes Isaiah and he touches him in particularly the spot that Isaiah is going to be used for God's glory. And Isaiah used what primarily? His mouth. To speak the words of God to, to, to God's people. But, but in the process, Isaiah first said, look, here I am. Here, here, I present my body, my life. And God touched him at exactly the point of his talents and his giftedness. I, I like to think, I don't have a chapter and verse for this, but I like to think that God calls you and I to a particular task in a particular time in a particular place. And, and he's, he's, he's that specific. Why has he given you the brilliant mind that you have to, to see things and, and, and to, to, to envision things that other people have difficulty seeing? Why does God give some people just the, the right word at the right time in communication? And they, just, they, they, they draw people to themselves by their, their charisma and their, their personality. I could go on and on. But this is, we are, we are presenting ourselves daily as living sacrifices. As someone said, the problem with a living sacrifice, though, is that oftentimes a living sacrifice wants to keep crawling off the altar and remain in control and, and, and not give it away. We want to bury it and, and, and do whatever we think we ought to do with it. And God wants us to employ it by employing our lives. One of the most influential authors and pastors in my own life, James M. Boyce, who pastored in Philadelphia for about 30 years, and, and, and I quote him some, but I know most of you have no idea who I'm talking about. But on Good Friday of the year 2000, Dr. Boyce was diagnosed with cancer. On Good Friday of 2000, he died six weeks later. And he knew from that diagnosis he was able to address his congregation after 30 years of ministry in Philadelphia. And when he addressed his congregation in his last sermon, he used chapter 12, verse 2, and he talked about the surrender of our lives and our bodies for God and his use and that this would be good and acceptable and perfect and pleasing, not only to God, but also to us. But if you hold on to your life, 
and make it all about you and yours, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll gain it. I want to read to you some of Dr. Boyce's sermon. He said, God is not only the one who is in charge, but God is also good. Everything he does is good. And what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says is that we have the opportunity by the renewal of our minds, how we think, and how we think about these types of things, to actually prove what God's will is. And then it says his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is that good, pleasing, and perfect to God? Yes, of course. But the point is that it's good, pleasing, and perfect to us. Then he says this. If God does something in your life, and he is implying even something difficult like a personal cancer diagnosis, would you change it? If you'd change it, you'd make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. So that's the way we want to accept it and to move forward, and who knows what God will do. I found that very encouraging because to me it meant that Dr. Boyce not only saw his preaching and his speaking as a gift from God for the edification of the church and others, but he also saw his diagnosis of cancer as something good as well that God can use. Does that make sense? Because normally we think, oh, preaching and Scott plays the piano and Catherine sings and you know, Randy and Tammy are back there every week doing who knows what because none of us know what goes on back there. They're the only ones who are gifted enough to get that technology. But what about everything that happens to us and our bodies? That too is a presentation to God for His glory and it can be used in the lives of others and ourselves for good. That word was presentation. And it is a continual life process. The third word is participation. I had a coach who used to tell us, get with a program. Get with a program. Wake up. You're involved. There's, there's nobody on the sidelines here. Hey, and I hear that's what Paul is telling the people in the body of Christ. You are to be a participant. That's in verses 3 through 8. In summary, it describes the individual parts of the body of Christ and how they are interdependent. Let me say that again. How the body parts, the individuals within the church, are dependent on one another. We are interdependent. And he uses the physical body to demonstrate that all of us understand that one part of the body affects the whole. And the whole affects that one part of the body. I asked Durell Langley this morning how his finger was doing. Durell snapped off the end of his finger working on the food pantry truck or getting prepared to drive. That affected your whole body, did it not, Mr. Durell? <laughs> Durell's still with me. All of us are called to participate in this dynamic spiritual union. We are, we are members of one another. And so what Paul says is that all of us affect the other. So you have great potential. You have great potential to do good to the body or harm to the body. So this is a challenge to use your gifts, talents, abilities, and resources 
to edify the body, to love other people, so that the church can fulfill its ultimate mission and so that you can know the, the joy that comes from serving your master. So Paul says in verse 3, this was grace given to him. Well, Paul was an enemy of Christ. He hated Christians and he hated Jesus. But God not only saved Paul, but he graced Paul with the gifts and abilities. So the first thing that Paul says to us in verse 3 is that not we're a part of the body and not we've received grace, but look. Every man among us ought not to think more highly of himself than he, than he ought to think. Let me read that again. Every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Don't get on your high horse around here, all right? Stay humble. See yourself properly. So what I think that he's trying to tell us is that before you can really begin to put in your gifts and talents and abilities for God, is that you need to remember what you are not. Let me say that again. Oftentimes we're trying to think out what we are and what we have. We need to remember what we're not. And when you remember what you're not, then you will recognize the need that you have for other people in your life and the contributions they make to you spiritually, physically, emotionally, and in every way. Don't think that you're self-sufficient because you're not. Don't think that you're independent and you don't need God and others because you're, you're, not, you're not in that condition. You are not omnipotent. You are not omnipresent. You are not all-knowing. You are not omniscient. You are a needy human being. You need God and you need others. And once you realize that you're not God, which means you're not autonomous and, and eternal left to yourself, once you recognize what you're not, you'll see your need to participate with the whole body of Christ in a healthy way. You'll recognize that, hey, the body of Christ, I might be a toe. <laughs> and other people may be a knee. And someone else may be a hand, but we are all uh, working together for a greater purpose and mission. And I'm going to participate because God has given me the grace to do so and the ability to do so. I'm going to participate and do my part within the body of Christ. A few reminders. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul reminds us that you are placed in the body of Christ by God just as he desired. God put you here. That's big stuff. As he desired. Not only that, but he gifted you by his grace in one of the various ways that he describes the gifts and personalities within the church. He's done this to edify the church, as I've said several times, but he's also done this for the joy of the individual. Not just other people's joy, but for your joy. So then he describes all these functions, and I'm not going to work this out in detail. But he's given people to prophesy and preach because you and I need preaching. He's given people to serve us because you and I need help in serving. He's given people to exhort us and to encourage us because we need exhortation and encouragement. He's given us generous people who God has blessed with, with generosity and the resources to do it because you and I often have need. 
He's given us people to lead us because we need leading. And he's given people to show mercy because you and I need mercy, not just in salvation, but we need daily mercy and daily help. So let's change the announcements this morning. Okay? Let's just work this out practically. Sure, the children's ministry needs workers. Erica said that. But let me flip this around and let me say this. You need the children's ministry. Because a lot of us have gotten too big for our britches. (laughs) And we think we control everything and everybody. Hey, go work in children's ministry and you will begin to think rightly about yourself again. It's been a long time since you worked in daycare. Yeah, the nursery needs you, but you need the nursery. You need to spend time with those beautiful children and the beautiful mess that they can be. Sure, we need you in soccer ministry, but you need the soccer ministry and you don't even realize it. The joys that we get by helping. I, I, I could go on and on through every particular ministry and I'm, I'm tempted to do it. <laughs> Ask the people who go down there every Tuesday and work in the food pantry and they see that the, the hungry people come through every Tuesday. They will tell you, yeah, the food pantry needed me, but I need the food pantry. I need the food pantry because I'm so ungrateful for what I have. I'm so ungrateful for the car that I drive. I'm so ungrateful. For, and, and you work in the food pantry, you're grat- I, I could go to the nursing homes. Man... They need us to come and sing. But you mean to give you a perspective that I have? I need to go there once or twice a month to sing to set my selfish, proud, midlife attitude back correctly. Because just as I was once a child in the nursery, the grace of God, it'll be just like that, that I'll be in that situation right around the corner. Yeah, Verlin Marshall needs you to visit him in the hospital. You don't know it, but you need, you need to visit Merlin Marshall for your... I could go on and on. Billy Vaughn, thank you for what some of you are doing in visiting Verlin in, in, the, in the hospital. That's practicing out, working out some of the other points. Do you get what I'm saying? Participation goes both ways because you're in the body of Christ... And God commands you to do these things for your own good and benefit. Participation. It's not limited to this church. It's not limited to these specific examples. But you find someone to love and someone to serve, and, and, and you get up every day and you go do it. And you'll find that it blesses them, and you'll find that it blesses you, and you'll discover in the process what your giftedness is. Here's the other aspect of participation, and I'm spending a little more time on this point, but let me just say this. A lot of you don't know what your gifts and talents and abilities are, but the way you discover it is by participating in the life of the local church and starting to do something. And then the people who are called to be pastors and elders and deacons and leaders and prophets and servers and exhorters, and they will help you discover your spiritual giftedness as you participate in the program. 
You don't go out for football on the first day and tell the coach, hey, I want to be the quarterback. <laughs> no. First year on the team, and you start off here. When Jerry Prince went to work for Heard County years ago as a school teacher, he didn't show up in day one and say, I want to be the superintendent. And he became that in time. But he started off as a teacher. Jerry will tell you, he started off as a lot more than that earlier in life before he ever got to teaching. So by participating in the life of the body of Christ, the body of Christ will help you discover what your gifts and talents are, and they'll help you discover gifts and talents that you didn't know you had and that you also didn't know you wanted. Point in case right here. It was a local church who helped me discover that this was what God was calling me to do. I sure didn't discover it for myself because I didn't want any part of it. I'm not going to tell you my life story, but let's move on to the last point. Then we have all these... Look at, look at verses 9 through 21. I'm just going to call these practices, okay? Okay? These are things we are to do every day with our lives. And as you do these things, you will discover the gifts and talents and abilities that God has blessed you with. So let's not make this too complex. Let's just say, simply read the Bible, believe the Bible, and go out there and put into practice the Bible. And your giftedness, your talent will start to shine. What do you mean? Well, I listed all these things out for myself, and I don't know that I'm going to go through them all, but if you break down verses 9 through 21 and you get busy doing those things, sincerely loving other people and not being hypocritical, hating what is evil and clinging to what is good, being devoted to people, being diligent and fervent in how you serve, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. I went by a pharmacy the other day. I had to wait like 20 minutes on a, a prescription. Customer after customer after customer, all ages, all types, interacting with the girl who was behind the counter. I, I was so blessed. It was so remarkable how kind and patient she was with every single problem and every single person. I told her when I, when I finally picked up mine, I said, your kindness is remarkable. Your service is incredible. You know, I gave her a three-point sermon, you know. <laughs> your kindness is remarkable, your service is incredible, and your, your future is bright. I don't know. But you stand out as salt and light when you take these things seriously and you do them. Devotion to prayer. I had someone this week tell me they, they had three or four people that they were praying for, and this person told me, you know what? It's helping me to pray for them. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. I think I referred to Billy and you know Elaine sharing how some of you were sitting with Verlin in the hospital to give her a break. That type of thing. That, that's real nuts and bolts Christianity. And it's in, it's in doing these things that you discover uh, God's purpose and plan and, and giftedness in your life. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. 
going on and on and on. But, but, but he sums it up by saying, look, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are the practices that God calls us to using your gifts, your talents, your ability to work all this out where you work, in your home, in your church. It builds up others. It, it, it gives joy to you. But I think it's really the only way to serve Christ properly. Any other way is disobedient. Any other way is inconsistent. Any other way is offensive to the gospel. Because if you go to these practices and you read them through, and you think about how Jesus did this for us, you'll have the power to begin to do them in your life for others. In other words, his love was certainly sincere. He went all the way to the cross, bearing our penalty, the wrath of God upon himself. Boy, was he ever devoted to good and rejecting what was evil. Was he diligent and fervent in his service? Did he rejoice in what he was doing? Absolutely, for the joy before him, he endured the cross. Did he contribute to the needs of the saints? He, he chose and, and, and gave birth to the saints. Did he bless those who persecuted him? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Did he rejoice with those who rejoice? Did he weep with those who weep? Did he weep with... With the family of Lazarus at, at, at the, the tomb of Lazarus? Absolutely. We could go on and on. Was he haughty? No, he was, he was low. He was lowly. And he associated with the lowly even though he was God. So we should not be self-wise. We should never pay back evil for evil. Leave that to the government. Leave that to the authorities, Romans 13 tells us. Your enemy's hungry, feed him. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's why we're back where we started. The perspective of Jesus and his glory, Jesus and his love, inspires and empowers us to put into practice with our gifts and talents and abilities what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. As the song we sang earlier, it was at Calvary. There was mercy great and grace was free and their pardon was multiplied to me. I pray this morning that if there's someone here who's in this place and they've never fully surrendered for salvation to Christ and his love, Christ and his finished work, that in their heart of hearts they would cast themselves fully on the mercy of God, which is our only hope of salvation. And that then we would... Be aware of our giftedness. And while we are gifted, while we are wired the way we're wired and made the way we're made, that we would live for you and your glory, remembering specifically what you've done for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Very familiar hymn, I Surrender All. You come as we sing.
Let's just come forward. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. Um, we just thank you so much for just the gifts that you've bestowed upon us, Father. We, we, we thank you for this church. Thank you for our, our staff, or for Pastor Neil. We just pray special blessing upon all of them, Father. And we just pray that you would take this offering, God, and, and just use it uh, to the enrichment of your body, Father. Um, we love you. You are just an awesome and mighty God. And we just ask this all in your name. Amen.
Thank you, Scott. You would stand. We're going to sing the doxology. You all are going to sing the doxology. <laughs> I'm going to walk into the welcome area and greet people. But all of you know this well enough because we've done it every week for the last month and a half. Let's sing the doxology. Thank you, Scott. 